It is absolutely incredible that over this weekend of the ANC's policy conference at NASREC here in Johannesburg, one of the big talking points is whether the so-called step-aside rule of the ANC is going to be abandoned or not. And I find this, as a political analyst, to be absolutely incredible because there shouldn't be controversy around the idea of a stepping-aside rule. There might be some disagreement about how to formulate it and how it should be operationalized. But intuitively, the idea of stepping aside is not one that ought, under healthy circumstances politically, to be controversial. But it is within the ANC. Have a listen to this cacophony of different voices over the last while that have been opining, debating, lamenting the step-aside rule from across the spectrum within the ANC and across different geographies and different demographics. If I were to be charged, yes, the processes in the governing party have to unfold. When I'm nominated, uh, charged or no charged, I was elected by conference branches of the ANC. Once I'm nominated, I will accept nomination. I will go to the National Conference because I know... The PGC has uh, reaffirmed the step-aside rule uh, as it has been resolved in our 54th National Conference. It has, re it has noted that this is a necessary tool to sustain discipline within the organization. And in fact, it is a very much fundamental tool to ensure that we sustain our program of unity and renewal of the organization. Because now you've got other comrades who have got issues with the Sondo Commission, then you are told that they are challenging the report, therefore they can't step aside. By the way, step aside seems that is a law that only applies to those who are ANC members. Because all the proponents of step aside, they don't implement the step aside in their, in their organizations, but they celebrate the step aside in the ANC because it constrains the ANC to discharge its responsibility to society. But you've got other comrades who are also challenging certain uh, 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 offenses in, 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 in courts, but they have been told to uh, to step aside. So we don't uh, really believe in demonizing this very important uh, rule which is aimed at regulating the conduct of its members. It's up to conference to decide whether this rule must apply retrospectively or from the date such decision is taken. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people all their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema, 
whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Now, what's interesting about the myriad views that you've just heard in that montage of different voices is several things that I want to comment on as an analyst. The first is to ask the question, what is the point of a step-aside rule? What does that even mean in principle? And secondly, is it a bad thing? And I want to tackle those two questions first. For me, the idea behind it is very simple, and maybe it's my obsession that runs throughout my public work on this for many years now, of the difference between law and ethics, or the difference between law and morality. Law matters because it regulates our interpersonal relationships, it regulates relationships between us and the state, and it regulates the relationship between legal persons and the rest of society, legal persons that aren't human beings, such as, for example, corporates. So no one should trample on the rule of law. No one should trample on a principle like constitutional supremacy. Unless the entire legal system is wicked, such as most of the apartheid era laws and the entire legal architecture of the apartheid era was morally wicked, then you've got no reason to object to laws of the land, laws within your club, your organization, laws within the complex where you are staying, and complying. So under ordinary circumstances, unless you have deep ethical reason to object to the entire legal system, we should be compliant with the law. So the law matters. But the law is not all that matters. I studied legal theory 3. I did not go on to do a postgraduate LLB, which would have taken another two years, and I could have become a career attorney. One of the reasons I chose not to is because I found law to be limiting in terms of the kinds of issues that it raises. While law is important for the basic reason that I've just described, much of our life is about social conventions, including about ethical principles and values that matter to us. And I had a greater curiosity intellectually to explore those, which I was able to do in moral philosophy, for example, in a way in which you can't if you want to be a good practicing attorney or advocate that simply gets on with the plumbing business that is the application of the law. And the reason why I was always fascinated by ethics is because I thought to myself as an undergraduate that surely there's, there's something about the idea of an ethical precept or an ethical principle of value that is, in a sense, in a sense, more important than the law. Not always, but in a sense, certain ethical principles are more important and more fundamental or more basic to healthy relationships between persons. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by this, a, a common example among students of philosophy. Let's take friendship. I don't have a legal duty to care about my friends, but I do have an ethical duty, at least if I really take seriously the idea that we are friends, that there are certain ethical expectations of how I should behave in relation to you 
if we are in a relationship that can genuinely be described as one of friendship as such. That's where the law and ethics come apart. The law cannot regulate friendship dynamics. But ethical questions arise in the context of friendship relationships. The same is also true of, let's say, for example, romantic relationships. You don't have a legal duty to be faithful to your partner sexually. But there are interesting ethical questions that are raised by behavior in relationships that we need to think through if we want to be minimally decent as lovers, as married individuals to another person. And that's why philosophers debate such issues as whether or not you are undermining someone else's autonomy when you do certain things without informing them and getting their prior consent before you do so. And philosophers will debate what is the best way to describe, if we agree it's wrong, the wrong consists of when you are, in fact, let's say, for example, cheating on your partner. And so law and ethics have different, both are important, but different roles they play in regulating life in general. So what does this all mean for South African politics? Well, what it means is, if you really want to be a political party that is attractive to the maximum number of potential voters, then you need to have members and leaders in your ranks who are not only law-abiding, but also ethically compliant. Now, I know what I've left out here, because this is not a philosophy seminar series, and we can have this conversation in a different forum on a different occasion, if your feedback to this podcast entry suggests that you have an appetite for it. A different conversation to be had is, what are the ethical principles or values that should guide us? Who determines what they are? And how do we actually go about assessing whether or not someone is ethically decent? Those are very difficult, interesting, important, urgent questions in any society. But I think we can at least agree conceptually that ethical leadership matters independent of being free of a criminal conviction, for example. And so it's not good enough for your baseline criterion to begin and to end by asking the question, does the person who wishes to become a leader within our ranks have a criminal record? And I'm afraid within South African politics, not only is there scant regard for being law-abiding, and you have many constitutional delinquents who are still successful politically, which means that even if we only care about the law, we still have a problem in South African political culture. But even if we paid a little bit more careful attention to whether or not a cadre putting up their hand for election is in fact legally above board, that cannot be the end of the inquiry about their fitness to hold office. We have to absolutely have to care about the question of whether or not they are also ethically compliant with the most important precepts that should guide ethical leadership and servant leadership in particular in a country like South Africa that cries out for political leadership that is excellent beyond simply being free of a criminal record. 
And that's the context within which the step aside rule is important. Because when there is a cloud hanging over your head and you have been accused of a serious crime, especially if there is, on the face of it, evidence to be answered to, even if you might secretly or objectively be innocent, stepping aside is a recognition that perception matters as much as objective reality. And that if you're about to run for a very senior position, whether it be in relation to your local tennis club, whether it be in relation to the school governing body that you are active within, or whether it be within a political party that you say, I, Eusebius, will be most inspiring and best thought of as beyond reproach to those who have to look up to me and be led by me if this matter is first settled of me being accused of A, B, or C. And someone who is understanding of the importance of ethics, including how perception of wrongdoing undermines leadership, and therefore means that from an ethical point of view, you should take seriously even the stink surrounding your name after a serious accusation. They should be willing to step aside voluntarily. Not because they are conceding that they are guilty of a crime or some sort of offence, but rather because you recognise that what matters is not only already having been found guilty of law, but also subjecting yourself publicly and maximally in terms of accountability to the processes that are set in place in your society to determine whether or not you are innocent or guilty. And that's why for me it is absolutely shameful that ANC politicians can debate whether or not a step-aside rule is a good or a bad thing. It is obviously a good thing as part of the political culture of any political entity that takes seriously the highest possible set of values, legal and non-legal, that it should be imbued with if it is to be regarded by voters, by citizens, society as large, as a credible, legitimate, moral force for good that can lead that society towards a more just and equitable set of outcomes. And yet here we are. It is the weekend of the policy conference in Johannesburg, and lo and behold, the ANC is divided on whether or not ethics matters. I mean, it's absolutely, absolutely horrific. The third question I want to raise is the question of voluntarism around stepping aside. And I've already alluded to it now. What makes the debate about the step-aside rule in the ANC even more egregious and embarrassing for the party is that ideally no one should be compelled to step aside after getting a phone call from some sort of integrity commission advising them to do so. Just like an apology has most moral value when it is genuine and voluntary, similarly, one ought to step aside as a kind of act of self-recognition that your name has been sullied, even if it had been done so through no choosing of your own. Even if it had been done so 
as a result of malice. But the voluntary element is a recognition that the reputation of the organization of which you are a part is more important than your individual careerist instinct. And that again is missing in ANC leadership and in the organizational culture of the African National Congress as it has evolved over the last couple of decades. Because if there was habitually role modeling within the African National Congress of voluntarily stepping aside, this would be a non-debate. And I think for us as citizens and for those who are regular listeners of this podcast, it is important to recognize that the shame of the ANC is doubled by the fact that the debate around the step-aside rule at Nesret is a debate about whether or not to compel people to step aside, when actually one should always be doing so voluntarily in recognition that the reputation and the branding of an association of which you are a part matters more than you as an individual. And yet we have a party in the ANC where you have individuals who insincerely tell us from time to time that the ANC is bigger than any one of us, and yet there's no culture voluntarily stepping aside. I mean, it's, it's just mind-blowing. The hypocrisy and the lying about putting the ANC first. If you put the ANC first as an ANC cater, then you should be comfortable to set aside knowing that due process will found you to in fact not have been guilty of that which you have been accused of. And then the final thing I want to reflect on is, as I've just alluded to, but what do you see is if someone, as a matter of skullduggery, gets accused of something that they are innocent of because some other person wants to squeeze themselves into a race and hope to win it while a matter is not yet settled in relation to innocent you? Of course that's possible. But here, we shouldn't be debating whether the rule is a good rule, but rather whether or not we have the right mechanism set up to be able to minimize the possibility of the abuse of the rule. That's a different question. The rule should not be put on trial. The intuition behind the rule should not be put on trial. The principle that is the undergird of the rule should not be put on trial. What we can discuss is the mechanism and how to operationalize it. For example, should there be a new body that enforces it? Should it be the Integrity Commission? Do they have the right resources? Should it be a quasi-judicial process, even as a subcommittee within the Integrity Commission? Those are the kinds of questions that are legitimate process detail questions. But that should be detail. It shouldn't be fundamentally what this is about. But the reason we are here, as a final comment, is because actually the ANC doesn't give a damn about ethics. If it gave a damn about ethics, this would not be a hot-button issue over this weekend at Nesrek. The debate about the step-aside rule is really a proxy debate for how to clear the pathway to have unethical members of the African National Congress be elected into positions of leadership, from which they can then be seconded to the state and continue to eat from the trough while millions of South Africans live on the margins of society.